Welcome to Eat the World, a podcast about food. My name is Rob Lewis. I'm a well-traveled eater and a fearless home cook. On my Instagram page, I have a community of people just like me, talented home cooks from around the world that make dishes that they love for their friends, families, and followers. This podcast tells their story. For my fourth podcast, my guest is Alice in Edinburgh. Originally from Sweden and a lawyer by training, Alice moved to Edinburgh and created one of the most visually striking Instagram pages. Each dish looks as if it was prepared by a three-star chef. Alice, welcome to Ate the World. Great. Well, thank you so much for doing this. This is very exciting. Well, thank you for inviting me. I noticed of all the Instagram accounts that I follow, your plates are the the most attractive and and the most delicious. <laughs> that is very kind of you. I mean, it's there's so much to um to choose from uh, on Instagram. So, I mean, for you to say that that's a real honor. Yeah. So when I launched the podcast, I wanted to have different people from around the world talk about their home cooking experience and to do it when offering something new and something different. And I think with, with you, it's so in, you have so many different layers. You have a Swedish heritage, you're living overseas, you've got beautiful plating and really stunning photography. So there's a lot to talk about. All right, let's get to it. Okay. So the first thing I wanted to talk about is the plating, because if you look through your Instagram history, it seems that about a year ago, maybe some a few months into when you started doing the Instagram page, the style of plating changed from um, more maximalist yes. to more minimalist. Can you talk about that experience and, and what went into it and what, what helped you decide to do that? The thing is, Rob, I don't even know myself. So I started the Instagram because my husband, he said, I mean, you can do something maybe creative with it. And, you know, you love cooking and, and you should post it. And so did my family. They also said it. So I said, all right. And, and then I just posted our dinners. And, and even though I love uh, cooking, just regular, comfy, everyday dinner kind of uh, food, I do love the artistic side of uh, how, well, you know, the expression you eat with your eyes and, uh, and all of that. So I wanted to explore that more. And I've been fortunate enough to eat in very good restaurants around the world. So I just wanted to see if I was even capable to to do it myself. So I tried it and it seemed like Instagram liked it. Yeah, and I just kept going. I did look back and I saw the dramatic change between, I don't know, maybe from February this year or something. Then I really stepped it up. And I couldn't tell you, even if you asked me what happened. I just, uh, I think I just decided to focus more on the artistic side of it and maybe to see it more as a whole, not just the flavors, but also the visual. Yeah, I think that that's what uh, happened. And then also someone said, why don't you ever change the plate? Uh, You use one plate for everything. And I was like, well, I think there's so much change, change around in the world right now. And, well, it has been the last couple of years. So uh, to have some sort of stability somewhere, my plate <laughs> being the same, I think it's comforting to know 
in some way. But then I changed what's in the plate. Do you have any formal cooking training? No, no cooking training at all. I did go to bartending school, a very serious one. So it wasn't like going to Greece for two weeks, drinking, partying and learning how to flare. It was a proper one in Stockholm. So uh, I did go to bartending school and it was for six for six weeks and uh, we did really learn the true basics of uh, liquor but also wine and beer. I did that because I was going to law school and I was thinking I should do something less serious having a part-time job while I'm in law school to do something fun. So I decided on bartending and I think that was my creative side. So the only culinary form of um, training I've had is cutting some fruit in (laughs) bartending school. I did a six-week cooking class, which was very intense. It was um, five hours a day, five days a week. And what was interesting about it was I took the class after maybe seven or eight years after I graduated from business school, after I was in, in finance, and after I had the experience of going to a lot of these famous restaurants. Yes. And it's it's unique because most of the fellow students were much younger and they were starting their career and they wanted to use this as a way to get into a kitchen. Yeah. So I had the experience of being on the other end of the table as as a diner and it changes your outlook entirely. It really does. And it's very interesting you said that you you went to business school and and such and I went to law school and then we sort of uh, switched around to something creative going from and I saw on chef's table it's an old episode of it's a female chef I don't remember her name but from Slovakia and she said she was on the path of becoming a diplomat and then she decided to just take a year off and travel the world and all her life she had been in so many rules and she was a straight A student and and stuff like that and then she decided to travel the world with her boyfriend at the time who later became her husband and she saw another side of of the world not being you know so everything is scheduled uh, everything has to be on time and and stuff like that and she she said that that probably let her creative side flow a bit more and she started to try out things then she became and she has this amazing restaurant in Slovakia never been but I think that having such a serious job as being a lawyer or business school um, or whatever then you don't really get to challenge that creative side of yourself I really wanted to see if I could do it oh definitely I mean, there's the psychology is fantastic because comparing against what I was doing, which was investment management, where you're worried about Mm -hmm. a lot of things that you can't control, a lot of things that aren't in the present but may happen in the future. And comparing that to how I feel when I'm cooking, when I'm cooking, I'm in the moment, I have my ingredients in front of me, I have a map in terms of what I'm going to prepare and how I'm going to prepare it. And I find that very relaxing. Plus, at the end of the day, I get to taste something delicious. And also I have the, f- the feedback of other people around me who I've cooked for tell me how great it is. Exactly. So it, it's almost diametrically opposite to, to the environment, the work environment that I was accustomed to. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I always um, try to find the 
creative parts of the law. I was in property law. Some would say the most boring part of law, but I liked it. My father was in property law, a great teacher, also a great chef. And now, how do you say? Would you say a home home cook? I think you can say chef. I, I think I think it's you know if you're talking about someone who's who's cooking for people that they love in the home. Yes. I don't think chef is inappropriate because you're not selling to anybody else. I actually got a comment on, uh, about that one saying you're not a chef. You don't have any formal education or any uh, how do you say culinary uh, school experience so you can call yourself a chef and I, i'm like all right i didn't know it was a protected title did you hear that on instagram or was it on another social media platform on instagram i got it in um, a direct message it's so rare that i get any forms of negative comments i'm just amazed sometimes i i take screenshots and i send them to my mother <laughs> and i say look at this they write me so and she said it she, she says that it's amazing a whole world out there with people from all around the world who uh, appreciates your food and i'm i'm just blown away about over the, the fact that people from around the world thinks that I'm doing a good job. But then sometimes someone will come in having a bad day saying, I didn't know it was asparagus season in Scotland right now. I'm finding on Instagram, I'm getting 95% positive and maybe one or two negatives. Yeah. On Reddit, if I post on Reddit, oh my goodness, it's it's just people sending hate, mm. and it's the same dish. It's just a different audience, or I think what's uh, what's seen as culturally okay to do is is completely yes. completely different. It's hilarious. I had posted caldo verde soup, you know, the Portuguese soup, and I know why it turned red. It turned red because instead of using the cured chorizo, I used fresh chorizo, so the paprika leached into the soup. Mm-hmm. But the taste was the same and is actually very delicious. And some guy wrote caldo verde and then a curse word in Portuguese. And that was the only comment and I'm just like, wow, that's really hateful. Oh. But then I looked to see his profile. One of the the items on his profile, he had posted a question basically saying, why don't people like me? <laughs> so I had to respond, you know, I don't know. Ma- maybe spread some love. <laughs> yes. Maybe it's the vibe you're giving off because, for example, I like to cook. Most people say nice things. Yeah. Sometimes people don't say nice things. So don't be that guy. I mean, it's it's not that hard. Exactly. I, I mean, I think that the food community on Instagram, it's just, uh, it's so welcoming and everybody is supporting each other. And I try to make uh, a thing about answering each and every comment. I think that's important. If someone has taken the time to go into my Instagram profile and click on one of my pictures and commenting, they've taken time from their day to say wonderful things. And at least I can show some respect or whatever to say thank you. And I think that's very important. And and I know how much I appreciate when someone says thank you back. To me, I mean, I, I can see it on other parts of Instagram, like influencers, fashion and, and so on, and they get a lot of hatred. I feel it's it's a tough 
environment for the influencers today, but on food Instagram, it's a totally different thing. I think, I think also it's, you know, you're literally putting yourself on a plate at times. You're saying, okay, this is what I've made. You, you're being very naked at that point, I would say. So I really appreciate and I read everything and I try to comment back and answer DMs and I mean, that's the least I can do for someone showing appreciation for what I've done. I feel the same way. Um, yeah. In terms of putting yourself out there and the uh, the joy and even a bit of relief of getting positive feedback. Yeah. Um, back. Part of the reason why I started this podcast was mm-hmm. so you have Instagram and you're posting beautiful pictures of the food that you're cooking, but you can't smell it and you can't taste it. Exactly. But you can see it, which is enough. One of the things that occurred to me is I'm starting to develop a relationship with the person who's making the the dishes and learning a little bit about why they're making the dishes. And I want to go to the next step. I want to sit down and I want to have nice conversations with different people from around the world to get an understanding of like, for example, like what chefs influence them, what types of dishes influence them, the the choice of ingredients, things that go behind the decisions to 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 cook, because it becomes more personal, it becomes more about memory and more about culture. No, I love it. I I think um, I don't listen to a lot of podcasts except for Swedish ones. The only one we actually have there are two women, uh, great, and they talk about food. And the previous podcast, she said that she doesn't really follow a recipe. Neither do I. I never follow a recipe. I will literally go into my fridge and I will see, okay, so this is what I have. Or I will see in the grocery store, I'll see a cauliflower and I will start thinking about and creating a dish around that. I never have a recipe that I follow. I think what I do is that I I take influences from everywhere. Instagram, of course, I look at stuff and I think my brain works in mysterious ways and make something out of it, make a whole picture of it together. I, I can't really explain it. I've tried to explain it to my mother because <laughs> she, she she doesn't like cooking at all. It was almost always my father who cooked growing up. She she's like she says, I didn't even know you had it in you, Alice, because you never really shown this side because I was the straight A student. I graduated with ninety seven percent A grades from high school and I got into the hardest lost school in Sweden. And then it was straight on for five years. You studied for straight on. And that's what I did. I love law, but of course I can't practice law in Scotland. So I had some time on my hand and I just, I needed to, my father passed away. So I needed to take some time off and just, and I just found myself in the kitchen. And that's where the process of the cooking, the stages, the planning around, it soothed me and I, I was calm and I could just take step by step and create something. And I could hear my father's voice saying, Alice, that's not how I would have done it. Or now you've forgotten something or add some more butter. <laughs> he would always say <laughs> sounds a bit out there maybe, but how we could communicate even though he wasn't still here. Having that time in the kitchen really made me come back to uh, everyday life, realizing he was not going to be with me uh, anymore. But it's such a wonderful way of keeping his memory alive, isn't it? Yeah. It's not just thinking about him, but thinking about all the things that he used to do. Absolutely. And that 
that part is still present with you is really touching. Well, it is. And, and I think, I mean, he had this folder where he would cut out recipes from newspapers or food magazines and he would make it into. So I have his whole uh, folder. I have three siblings. It wasn't even a question who would get the folder with his recipes. It was always, you know. So my siblings would call me and say, oh, do you have the recipes for dad's meatballs? And I say, yes, I do. <laughs> or do you have his recipe for Bernie's sauce? I mean, that was, I mean my, me and my mother, we talked about it the other day. And she said, I've never had a Bernie's sauce ever that's as good as your father's. And I would say, I agree. And I said, not even me. I try my best, but I I just, um, so I hope from, (laughs) I hope uh, sometimes I taste something I've I've made. I I think, I think my father would have loved this. That's actually the best compliment I get. One of my older sisters, she'd say, he would be so proud of you. Still trying to impress my father. (laughs) him sitting somewhere in another dimension or whatever. In addition to the folder, I saw from some of your earlier posts that you do keep a lot of cookbooks. I do. Oh my God, yes. (laughs) Do you have any specific either chef influencers that were important to you that that touched you or or specific cookbooks that you found were were go-to? I do have one chef that comes into mind, and his name is Tommy Millimacki. Uh, he's a Swedish chef, and he's really good. In, he seems to be a really nice guy as well. Uh, he has a series with all the basics, so fish and seafood, uh, one with meat and poultry, one named sauces, one named salads, and they the cookbooks are very aesthetically pleasing to me at least and and also it's the basics whenever I feel unsure of something I would go to one of his cookbooks and I look and I'll be like oh yeah that's how you do it the the thing is I I know I've written in one of the posts uh, in one of my early posts that other people they have um, a nice novel sitting at their nightstand I have cookbooks. Yes, I read that. Oh, you did? <laughs> yeah, I have, for real, I have cookbooks. I have so many cookbooks. I just read them through and uh, it's not that I'm, I, I, I literally take them from first page and I go through them. But lately I haven't been looking in cookbooks that much, actually. I, I, I don't know where, since, you know, we, here in Scotland, we've been sitting in lockdown. Uh, many countries have. So the inspiration usually that I get from what outside in nature I go to interior design stores or I love going to Harvey Nichols can't buy anything but it's so expensive but I mean I I walk around and I see beautiful um, garments or flowers I I love doing flower arrangements as well with the lockdown in some way I I realized that I had to do something to uh, (laughs) put myself in a good mood so um, the cooking really did that. In, in the beginning, it helped me with my grief. And then it has now come to being something I need to do to get an outlet for my creativity. I, I must say, me using the word creativity about myself, it's not something that I used to do. I, I'm 
not to be um, sounding full of myself, but I've always heard that I'm eloquent or smart or doing a very good job as a lawyer. But being creative hasn't really been one of the things to describe me. I would probably say my oldest sister, she's very creative. She works with jewelries and she's a gemologist and she, uh, she, she can paint and she writes beautifully. I write like a four-year-old. So that was more of her thing to be creative. So now when I get to hear that I'm creative, I get a bit <laughs> confused. Thousands of people tell you you're creative. I know. <laughs> It's amazing. I mean, I'm. I can't really understand it myself. I, I sometimes when when they say that it's that my plating is it's like a artwork. I I I feel very humbled and very very honored with every uh, comment like that. It's just I don't know. It I I would never have thought this ever. And I mean, I I, I do have three thousand eight hundred followers. It's a lot of people. When I think about how many people we were in my high school, we were a thousand people. If someone said we were we were all standing outside, it was a some gathering of sorts, and saying that all of these people times three are looking at what you're doing, what you're posting, and they like it, I would say I can't believe it. I think it's just amazing. I'm um, very honored and very humbled by that fact. What's your strategy to find different ingredients? It's easy to uh, just uh, out of habit go to the same section in the grocery store. And um, so that's I I try to uh, keep my eyes open and just see something uh, that I usually never would have looked at because that's not in my, my maybe flavor palette. But um, yeah, I like to experiment. So I think that maybe to... Take a step out and try something new. The starting point, as you say, the starting point of the dish, the inspiration of the dish may be a certain ingredient. Yes. But when you figure out or compose the plate, do you draw a sketch or do you have something in mind before <laughs> you start cooking? Oh, Rob, you wouldn't want to see anything I, I'd drawn. <laughs> so, no, I don't draw, draw any sketches. I, I visualize it and then as I go along... I usually work in three, sixes, and nines. My brain likes that composition, and that's usually how I do it. How I do it, and also I try to. Sometimes, maybe you've seen I, I work with just one color, uh, different shades of one color. Yes, I notice that a lot. Yes, that comes, and and my my brother, um, he he goes, oh, it's a lot of greens and yellows now, Alice, and I said, well, that's the color of food. It's the natural color of the main type of food I cook. So, um, and then he went, you should do something with purple. But um, as I wrote in a post recently, <laughs> I don't find purple so appealing. But I managed to find that ca ca cabbage, kale, cabbage. The, the radicchio is purple. Oh, yeah. But even even that is limited. Yes. So you have, that's your one dish. That's my one dish. But I tried to think in colors and what would work together I do not cook meat that often. I'm not vegetarian or pescatarian, but my husband is uh, pescatarian. So for the sake of the uh, house piece, <laughs> I don't cook that much uh, meat. No, he wouldn't mind if I cooked meat at all. I mean, I eat meat. Usually I, I stick to fish or all vegetarian. Why not? Is the shopping experience in Edinburgh similar to uh, Stockholm? No. 
yesterday I told my mother that it's it's very interesting because here I see that other produce is more common than in Sweden. So, for example, oyster mushroom, king oyster mushroom. I said I see that very often in the grocery stores here. So, but rarely I would see it in Sweden. On the other hand, in Sweden now in in the fall there would be an abundance of um, uh, chanterelles, girol. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, here I can't find it anywhere. So the the main uh, stores I go to Tesco and Waitrose. Waitrose is more of uh, maybe you're aware, uh, but it's more of you, you can find more rare stuff there. But still, they don't have any chanterelles. So. I've been on a hunt for it. And also I've been on a hunt for Jerusalem artichokes. Oh my God, my one of my favorite things. And I, I can't find it anywhere. And we went to this garden center and they had farm shop. Yes. Would you say that maybe? And they had it and I was uh, it was very expensive. But so I cried on the way out. But still, I was so happy to get my hands on some Jerusalem artichokes. There's coming a dish with Jerusalem artichokes three ways soon. <laughs> Tomorrow, actually. You wrote that when you were a child, you didn't like Jerusalem artichokes at all. No, I didn't. I thought it, uh, I remember my mother, she made a soup and I was like, mom, you shouldn't cook. <laughs> I mean, I, th- I thought it tasted like uh, candle wax. I, not that I had very much experience of eating candle wax, but what I imagined it tasted like. So, but then now I, I long for it. <laughs> It's odd. So, and also parsley. I written about how how I thought that was um, very soapy. And I, this is the thing. I I really I have a thing for never saying I don't like this because I think that when something is uh, in the right amount, I think everyone could probably like it. I've had issues with cilantro coriander. Well, cilantro... It, I've it, heard it's genetic. Yes. So for certain people, it does taste like so. Yes. So I, I, don't like, I, I don't love it. But as in small amounts, I can now handle it. Yes. So that's excusable. I made parsley oil for the first time, thanks to your instruction. Oh, yeah. I saw. How did it go? I think it went okay. I mean, it was thin, like an oil. I was hoping that it would bead better on my plate for, for, um, for plating purposes. But it tasted nice, and it added something to the dish. Yeah. So, and I tried something new as a new technique. Yeah. And I'm I'm, o- I'm always into trying new techniques and new new things. So, as we've talked about, I mean, I don't have any. Um, I I don't know how to do stuff. I, tr- I try myself, and then it works or it doesn't work. I mean, I have many failures behind me here. I mean, I made a a disaster cake a while ago, and I mean, I saw it in the oven. And I was like, okay, it didn't go well. It had exploded. I don't even know how a cake can explode. But baking is not my forte. I will tell you that. (laughs) I love when I find something that that I've made. And maybe I don't do it in the right way, but it ends up being nice and it works. Then hooray. 
I mean, I, I, my, my best friend, she always tells me, I'm, I don't know if you heard this that, um, about um, people being different colors, a red person, a yellow person, a green or blue person. And she, also, uh, she always tells me I'm a yellow person because I always see the positive in things like we were going to Shetlands because we bought one acre of land there. We missed the ferry to Aberdeen. And I said to my husband, well, let's see what Aberdeen has to offer. She said, that's because you're a yellow person and you will see, you will turn anything into something positive. So that's how I am with cooking as well. If something doesn't go well, I try to figure a way around it or there's a solution to everything, I think. And I, I don't even, I never look back and think I should have done this. That's not in me. I always look, what can we do with the situation at hand? And maybe that's the lawyer in me. I don't know. <laughs> Um, we have to solve it. What's the outcome I want to have? And when it comes to cooking, it's that it should taste good and it should look good. That uh, that's my main goal when cooking. The the dishes that you plate and the the pictures that you take. Do you make two of them, or do you serve a separate dish which is just a, a less less structured for your dinner table? I saw that you um, wrote uh, yesterday that you made a nicer plate and then you served in another way. That's how I did it in the beginning. So I would take time and and plate one nicely and then just scoop up the rest, so to say. But now I have changed style so this since the plates are smaller I make just one dish and I make them at around midday so my husband gets it for lunch and anything that we have this lovely lady who lives above us she now during lockdown we've helped her with the grocery shopping and stuff like that sometimes I invite her down or I go up to her with with something so that she really enjoys it I think that Sometimes I, I can get frustrated with something not going as I want it, or I can get tired of the dish that I've been making whilst I'm making it. But no, I make one dish usually, and I know how much I need to make one dish, so I, I never waste anything. I'm very big on not wasting anything. I try to make something out of basically everything on uh, like a broccoli or a cucumber or an apple. I'm very big on that. One of the things that impressed me the most in, in, in terms of not wasting food, uh, some months back, you made a beautiful cauliflower puree, which you served a blackened salmon on top. And then a few dishes later, you used the leftover puree uh, for a, um, a tomato yeah, dish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the thing is that I am very big on food hygiene also kitchen hygiene. I am bordering OCD when it comes to my kitchen. So I actually clean my fridge once a week. I make sure that nothing goes bad ever. It, you would never find a jar sitting months on end in my fridge or seeing a rotten tomato or anything. I mean, I will reuse everything I have. I think I have respect for everyone in the in the industry from the person who picked the tomato to the person who packed the tomato to the person who put it up on the shelf in the grocery store and then to the person who uh, checked it in the cashier or I, I mean for every person I think that uh, that made it possible for me to have this tomato I have respect so uh, the respect I can give back is to not waste it that is a huge thing because I know 
I know that my time is precious, uh, precious, so I have respect for their time. Uh, so that's why I use, I even use, um, a while back, I made a burrata dish with tomatoes. I even used the skin. I roasted the skin in the, in the, in the oven and it was great. So I think more, m- more effort should be put into really use the whole produce. Um, not only because, I mean, we all know about the climate change also because of all the people hard work that is behind me having this tomato on my kitchen counter. I want to make the best out of it or the most out of it. I love that sentiment um, with the with the lockdown and with COVID, mm-hmm. it puts that much more pressure on you to continually find fresh ingredients and, yeah. you know, basically replenish your refrigerator more turns than you would have ordinarily. It is. Before COVID, it's easy. Just go to the market. It's It's an adventure. But post-COVID, it's a different kind of adventure. That's something that I really miss here. When you asked me about grocery shopping experience, the difference between Sweden or Stockholm and Edinburgh, I would say that I miss having like a proper market. If you go to Square in Stockholm, they will have fruit and vegetable and flower sort of marketplace going on. And you can get good seasonal produce there. But here, I haven't really found the equivalent. I mean, Facebook groups asking for where I can go for flower shopping. That's not, you know, from the store, pre-made bouquets that with flowers and colors that I wouldn't have picked. I like to arrange myself. But going to a florist, it's obviously very expensive. Having good uh, fruit and vegetable market is something that I miss here. You have to be inventive in Corona t- times. You have to think up outside the box, and we're all in the same boat. We all have to limit ourselves with the produce we have at hand. And then, with the seasonality of produce, how do your recipes change going into winter, especially into the deeper parts of winter? It's not aesthetically pleasing. Making more casserole dishes is always you know, good. I mean, I come from a country where it gets really cold. We have minus 20 in Stockholm, except for last year, it was like springtime. But usually during the winters, it gets really cold. And and you can see that in the groceries that it's more of the, would you say root vegetables that are covering the shelves in the grocery store? Yes. Uh, With the aesthetics I have that I post on my Instagram. I mean, I haven't really been in the winter part yet, <laughs> so I don't know how it's going to evolve yet. I've been thinking about it. I mean, yes, I had um, Instagram uh, a year ago, but I wasn't so focused then on, uh, as you said, the aesthetics has changed. Changed. I will continue on the root vegetable path, but I also think that I'm going to try to challenge myself and, and maybe do more sweets Christmas and all being very focused on sweets especially in Sweden we we do a lot of um, it's like sweet buns with um, saffron and stuff and uh, so saffron becomes very popular around Christmas do you have any specific Lucia traditions that you carry over to Edinburgh? Oh, yes. Oh, my God. It, so Lucia is uh, 13th of December. And it's, I mean, if someone who doesn't even know about the tradition uh, comes into a Lucia celebration, they would think that we were 
some sort of sect or cult. That's what you say. Yes, it's odd. I mean, the Lucia, uh, the main <laughs> character or whatever, she's wearing burning candles in her hair and we wear white gowns and we have a red ribbon around our waist. It's a very lovely, cozy tradition and we, we, we grow up with it in Sweden. So when I came to Edinburgh last year, I saw in, in a Facebook group called Swedes in Edinburgh or something like that. And they said, oh, now it's time for the Lucia tradition and sign up if you want to be a part of our Lucia train, as we call it. So we, we walk in, it's very pretty and everyone, and we sing a lot of songs. So I said, why not? <laughs> I can't sing, Rob. I <laughs> Literally, I cannot sing. I mean, I have a very high-pitched voice. And I mean, it's a fun thing. And they said, no, 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 you don't have to sing. Don't worry. So I came there and they were all professionals. And there I was. And they were like, you're doing great, Alice. So we did have a Lucia celebration in one of the churches here. I mean, I, I think it was 300 or 350 people who came and saw it. That's a lot. Yeah. Edinburgh is not that big of a city. No, but there are a lot of Swedes here. I mean, it was great. It was so much fun. And I loved it. And having some like tradition back from home. But around that time, we eat gingerbread cookies. We eat uh, something called lussebulle. That is the saffron bun uh, I told you about. And we, um, we sing songs. <laughs> and we drink something called gileg. And that's an alcoholic beverage. It's heated uh, but don't let it boil because then you destroy the alcohol. <laughs> it uh, it's more like a um, heated lemonade, but with uh, spices in it. And then around Christmas, I mean, our Christmas dinner table is very different from uh, the British one. My husband is English, so he goes all traditional. What's typical Swedish Christmas dinner table? Ah, uh, we eat meatballs, of course. We eat. Small sausages called prince sausages. They're basically just sausages, hot dogs, but small. Uh, we eat cured salmon, gravadlax, uh, gravadlax. We eat boiled eggs that we cut in half, and we uh, then put mayonnaise on it, and then we put sturgeon roe on it, or oh, yes, or um, shrimp. And dill, of course, dill. And we eat boiled potatoes and we eat um, cabbage, uh, heated cabbage with uh, cream or, and a lot of sill, of course. A lot of sill? Sill, sill, yes. Herring, pickled herring. Yeah. I love herring. In different uh, varieties. It's, uh, so it's pickled and it's salted and you, you can do different variations of it. And then we eat a sort of rice pudding as a dessert that sounds delightful a, like a looking to the future sauce. sounds odd last year and the year before that we were in sweden to celebrate we had a very typical swedish uh, christmas what's the logical extension of of the posts that you've been making so i get a lot of questions about if i ever will open my own restaurant or if I want to work as a private chef or something like that. But this is my hobby. And I think that sometimes it can be an unwise decision to to make your hobby into your work. My, my plan is to keep on as I've, I have been the last couple of months posting 
and see if there still is interest. My followers, they, they increase. And I think it's just, it's just amazing to have that level of support for something that I, as I said, is something so personal as uh, creating food. So I will just continue. I mean, I, I am um, something that I have um, been um, experimenting with is uh, the photography of the, the food. Maybe I will go and do uh, a proper a culinary course or something just like you did or maybe a photography course or something that could maybe elevate the posts in some way I, I love cooking and I love the way my my thought process is while I'm doing it because it's so soothing and comforting and I know where I have everything and I I mean, I'm fortunate to ha- enough to have such a well-equipped kitchen. I want to, to uh, try to explore more, getting into m- maybe making something, um, I don't want to say um, harder, because sometimes the things I do is a bit complicated. So when someone asks me what I've done and how I did it, it, it takes time to, uh, to explain. But I want to... Um, try to explore uh, other areas of the cooking but I think that everything everything has to be done at the right time for me not to take a step out of my comfort zone too quickly but at this point I think I've done this and I have um, I know one dish takes one hour to make so from the first thing I do when I'm cooking is to put my cutting cutting board on the kitchen counter and my favorite knife and from that moment it takes one hour until I put on the dishwasher when I re- when I realized that I've started to make something into a schedule again it's my my lawyer persona that takes over you know wanting everything to be in order and in the precise way then I think it's time for me to take a step out and I think I'm starting to get ready to do that I like writing about food as well, but I haven't really explored that that much. But that's something I'm going to look into. This conversation has made me a more optimistic person in regards to, you know, looking at your last six posts. Uh, There was a cauliflower, there's a butternut squash, there's a beet, and you've taken an ingredient and discovered what you can creatively turn it into. And there's so much more out there that I wish that you have a lot more avenues of discovery and, and a lot more serendipitous events or, or dishes or ingredients that you come across, because I'm so curious to see what your creative mind will, will put on a plate. Alice, thanks for joining us. And thanks for listening to the Eat the World podcast. podcast.